It's fundraiser week here at Valley Free Radio, so there's no regular show this week. Instead, I'm podcasting a piece provided to me by Margaret Tash, discussing the Baha'i perspective on nutrition. Enjoy, and I'll be back next week with another interview. Hi, my name is Margaret Tash, and I'm a Baha'i in Rochester, New York. I'd like to speak to you about nutrition from a Baha'i perspective, food for the body, food for the soul. I'd like to talk about an aspect of the Baha'i faith that may not seem spiritual, but actually has its roots deep in a revelation given to us by Baha'u'llah. I'll share the following with you. First, we'll discuss a little bit about food and the role it plays in our lives. Then, we'll show how the principles of the Baha'i faith relate to the food choices we make. Finally, we'll discover ways to put into action these spiritual principles. Most importantly, I want to make clear that this is my understanding of one approach to food and nutrition based on the Baha'i writings. The concept evolved drastically from my initial plan as I began to deepen on the topic and I saw the unity and the interconnectedness of all of these principles. So how do we approach food and nutrition from a spiritual angle? While there is not a Baha'i diet, we do have some guidelines about where we're going and where we're supposed to be heading. It's a process, individually and collectively, of moving towards health, not just our own health, but the health of every living thing on the planet. We're not under any obligation to follow any of these suggestions. Again, it's not a Baha'i diet. But if we have the desire and the will to explore these um, principles more deeply, we can move closer to understanding them in a new light. So first, let's explore some thoughts about food. We need food to survive, plain and simple. We can't live without it. But our relationship with food goes far beyond survival. Food encompasses feelings of love, community, and connection. Culturally, through the ages, food played a role in keeping a group bonded together, and traditions were passed on from generation to generation, often revolving around food. But now beyond that, food choices we make in this day have a huge impact on every living thing, on other people, animals, plants, the environment in general. We need to embrace global thinking. We're not just a family or a village anymore. It's really not about us. We often think of food in self-centered ways. It might be to control our outward appearance, to be a certain weight, to fit into a certain size jeans, or to look good to someone else. All of this is based on cultural and material perceptions, and it's not based on our spiritual reality. So we tend to look at food from a self-centered view and not from a spiritual perspective. We might ask ourselves today for the first time, why do we eat? What is the purpose of choosing the foods that we do? So if it's not to get six-pack abs, then why should we care about what we eat? Well, let's look at something that Abdu'l-Bahá wrote. He is the son of the prophet founder of the Baha'i faith. And Abdu'l-Bahá said this about a hundred years ago. Looking after one's health is done with two intentions. 
man may take good care of his body for the purpose of satisfying his personal wishes, or he may look after his health with the good intention of serving humanity and living long enough to perform his duty toward mankind. The latter is most commendable, and that was quoted from Star of the West. Now we know why we need to eat healthily. But what next? There's no Baha'i diet, right? But Abdu Baha did give us some glimmerings of where we need to go. Some of you may be familiar with this quotation. Abdu Baha writes in Lights of Guidance The food of the future will be fruit and grains. The time will come when meat is no longer eaten. Medical science is yet only in its infancy but it has shown that our natural diet is that which grows out of the ground. The people will gradually develop the condition of taking only this natural food. I do want to explain that when Abdu'l-Bahá speaks about fruit and grains, he doesn't mean simply fruit and grains. He does encompass in other of his writings um, eating legumes and nuts and vegetables, um, healthy oils, so a really very healthy plant-based diet. So now we have a little more insight. How does this diet, which advocates less meat and more whole foods and really simpler foods, how does this diet connect to the spiritual principles of Baha'u'llah's revelation? Let's start discussing the principles of the Baha'i faith and compare them with the style of eating which Abdu'l-Bahá encouraged. Well, one of the fundamental principles of the faith is the independent investigation of truth. It's our duty to investigate and search for truth our whole lives so that we can incorporate spiritual laws and principles into the physical and material world. This is our challenge. We live in a meat-heavy society, especially the Western world but we're encouraged to move forward away from these current standards. Can we change? Are we willing to investigate the truth as it relates to ourselves, to our personal lives, and not simply reflect the society around us? Another Baha'i principle is the unity of humankind and the oneness of humankind. This is not some abstract thought that Baha'u'llah gave to us. We are one people. What does that have to do with what you eat? It means that the actions we take, the food choices we make, have a profound effect on other people in other parts of the world, often with negative results. We'll talk more about that later. If we really believe we are united, and we really believe that we are one people, then we want our actions not only to not harm our brothers and sisters around the world, but actually to protect them and to move them forward. We'll learn how our actions can promote the oneness of humankind. Another aspect of the Baha'i faith is that we are told to show kindness to animals. Most of us have heard something about the terrible conditions that animals go through these days, how they are born and bred, um, in terrible situations, uh, in overcrowded conditions, and live terrible lives until they die terrible deaths. We don't want to talk about that too much, but it's enough to say that we know it exists. 
We buy meat in pieces so we don't really have to think that some living creature died under terrible conditions. Think of that and then listen to what Abdu'l-Bahá has written from Lights of Guidance. Regarding the eating of animal flesh and abstinence therefrom, man is not in need of meat, nor is he obliged to eat it. Truly, the killing of animals and the eating of meat is somewhat contrary to pity and compassion. And if one can content oneself with grains and fruits and oil and nuts, it would undoubtedly be better and more pleasing. Another principle of the Baha'i faith is the elimination of extremes of wealth and poverty. The United Nations World Food Program states that 25,000 people die each day from hunger-related causes. Most of them are children under the age of five years. In addition, another one billion people on the planet do not have enough to eat every day. That population is more than the United States, Canada, and the European Union combined. There is a huge discrepancy between those of us who have too much and those on the planet who have nothing at all. Listen to what Mr. Adib Tahirzadeh has written in a book called The Revelation of Baha'u'llah. He writes this, The nobility of man and his spiritual development will lead him in the future to such a position that no individual could enjoy eating his food or resting at home while knowing that there was one person somewhere in the world without food or shelter. Imagine if we all felt that way, how it would transform the world. Another aspect of the Baha'i faith is wondering whether or not science and religion agree. So do science and religion agree in respect to a diet that's more plant-based? As it turns out, science is catching up with what Abdu'l-Bahá wrote in the early 1900s. In fact, since the time of Abdu'l-Bahá, our consumption of meat has actually skyrocketed through the 20th century and into the early 21st century. That has uh, really given us a number of health problems that have plagued the Western world. Science has proven that a healthy diet, one that contains less meat, and has an increase in grains and legumes, fruits and vegetables, is associated with decreased obesity as well as a decrease in heart disease, diabetes, stroke and cancer. Most of us are familiar with these statistics. So the question is, what does your body look like on the inside? This is much more important than our physical appearance. The love of nature and protection of the environment is another thing that we've been enjoined to do in the Baha'i Writings. Baha'u'llah loved nature and the natural world very much. In Tablets of Baha'u'llah he writes, Nature is God's will and is its expression in and through the contingent world. Let me repeat that. Nature is God's will and is its expression in and through the contingent world. The writings are filled with references to the beauty of nature, and yet Baha'u'llah also gives us a warning if we do not care for the environment, and this is taken from the hidden words. 
Ye walk on my earth complacent and self-satisfied, heedless that my earth is weary of you, and everything within it shunneth you. In the world today, 50% of all the grains that are raised are used for livestock feed. These statistics are from the World Resources Institute. 30% of the land surface on the planet is devoted to animal agriculture. 70% of all fresh water is used for animal production. And that number comes from the fact that 70% of that water, of course, is coming from all of the water that is used to raise the grains, which feed the animals, as well as to actually feed the animals during their lifetime, as well as for the actual slaughtering and production of animal products. The United Nations Environmental Program states that 17% of the Amazon's rainforest has been lost to animal grazing and agribusiness. They estimate that one half of the rainforest will be lost in 20 years. The United Nations also notes that meat production and the livestock sector are one of the top two or three most significant contributors to the most serious environmental problems at every scale from local to global. It's now estimated that nearly one-fifth, 18% to be exact, of the world's greenhouse gases come from methane produced by livestock. This is more than all of the world's cars, buses, planes, and trains combined. Worse than this, global warming can lead to further deterioration of arable land. That's land that can be used for agriculture. In other parts of the world, they've been faced with drought, which um, has been caused in part by global warming. And when these people can't raise food, they die. Real people die because we are contributing to that through global warming. The Universal House of Justice, which is the world governing body of the Baha'is, wrote to us in 1989 in a compilation called Conservation of the Earth's Resources about the Environment. They wrote, Assisting in endeavors to conserve the environment in ways which blend with the rhythm of life of our community must assume more importance in Baha'i activities. They wrote that 20 years ago. Do you know about the low-carbon diet? Nope, I'm not talking about the low-carb diet. We're talking about something called a low-carbon diet, which has been designed to decrease our carbon footprint um, on the earth. And a, a low-carbon diet encourages a decreased intake of all types of meat, as well as buying food more locally. This is done to decrease the amount of gasoline that is used for transporting food long distances. In fact, to produce one pound of beef, it causes as much carbon emissions as driving a car 440 miles. If you think that most hamburgers are now 8 ounces, that means two hamburgers is um, taking up as much energy as driving a car 440 miles. There's been talk on the internet, sort of done tongue-in-cheek, that it's probably better to drive a Hummer and to eat a veggie dog than to drive a Prius and eat a hot dog. However, I guess if you drove a Prius and you ate a veggie dog, you'd be doing two good things at once. So now let's tie in the spiritual component. Do we think that our physical actions, the things that we do and the food choices we make, 
Do we think that they affect our spiritual growth? Well, in fact, they do. This is what Abdu'l-Bahá has shared with us from Star of the West. Between material things and spiritual things, there is a connection. The more healthful his body, the greater will be the power of the spirit of man. There are also virtues involved in the concept of the food choices that we make. Virtues such as moderation, simplicity, and frugality are all encouraged in the Baha'i writings. Now, you don't have to live in a sackcloth or live on a farm, but it is important that we think about these principles a little more, especially those of us in the more developed countries. The Baha'i writings say that economy is the foundation of human prosperity. And here is something again from Abdu'l-Bahá, written in Baha'u'lláh in a New Era. It is more kingly to be satisfied with a crust of stale bread than to enjoy a sumptuous dinner of many courses, the money for which comes out of the pockets of others. The mind of a contented person is always peaceful and his heart at rest. How happily such a man helps himself to his frugal meals. How joyfully he takes his walks. How peacefully he sleeps. There are other virtues enjoined in the Baha'i writings. Virtues such as increased awareness and mindfulness and gratitude. So how do we practice gratitude when we're talking about food and the food choices we make? Well, again, just being more aware of what we're doing from day to day in this very busy society, increasing our awareness about the food choices we make and when we eat just connects us more deeply to the roots of where we got our food. So whether we're shopping or we're preparing a meal or we're eating, whether it's at home or at a restaurant, we can take a moment to just think about what it took to get our food to that table and also the fact that we have food when many other people do not. We don't have to make it some kind of a ritual, but we can just simply make it a practice to think about what we have and to be grateful for it. Abdu'l-Bahá often said grace before meals, and we're not really blessing the food, we're really remembering God and honoring what we've been given. So now we're going to say we have all of these principles. We've learned a lot about what to do and how we can do it. So what are we going to do with it? And does one person make a difference? Well, Baha'u'llah writes this in the tablets of Baha'u'llah. It is incumbent upon every man of insight and understanding to strive to translate that which hath been written into reality and action. So, first thing we need to do is to put spiritual principles into action. And we recognize that this is a process, and we don't have to be perfect. Any small change that you make will matter. Try to think of this as a positive process, not as deprivation. It's the same as when we're enjoined to pray and meditate in the Baha'i writings. We could think of it as deprivation, that it's taking time away from watching TV, playing on a computer, doing whatever it is we want to do. But we know that if we have this practice of prayer and meditation, that it becomes something we desire because we see the benefit it gives us. So we want to look at this, the food choices we make, in the very same way. We're not just building healthier bodies for ourselves. 
we're really building a healthier environment. It's really about all of our souls being united, being willing to change our actions to better the world and not to be complacent and self-satisfied as Baha'u'llah warned us. We can pray about this, study it more, reflect on what action we can take, and then take some action. There is not a right or wrong way to do this. Simply make a start to change your habits and you'll be guided. Eating less meat is not mandatory, not at all, but it is encouraged in the Baha'i Writings, as well as many other global agencies, including the United Nations Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. Like the concept of universal participation, the sum effect of each of us doing our part has an exponential effect on changing the world. Never forget the part that you can play. So what are some individual parts that we can play? What's an action plan for us as individuals? First, there's a program called Meatless Mondays. It actually had its start in World War I and then was invoked again in World War II to help the war effort. Every Monday, people in the United States gave up meat. Uh, restaurants didn't serve it as well. It was very successful. Meatless Mondays was started again in 2003 because of worsening health conditions. It was initiated by Johns Hopkins University School of Public Health and advocated by many other schools of public health. This year in 2009, because of the impact of global warming that meat production has had, many people around the world have joined in this. In fact, the city of Ghent, Belgium, which has 200,000 people, has voluntarily gone meatless every Monday. Virtually the whole city practices that voluntarily. So there's something you can do. You can join the many people around the world. There's a website very easily called www.meatlessmonday.com, which will give you many ideas. Check that. You'll see communities nearby that you can join in and get some ideas about how to participate. You can even do more than that if you wish to. You could give up more meat if you want to. Um, talk to friends who maybe are already not eating as much meat as they had in the past, and you can get great tips. Another thing you can do is really know at least some of the people who grow your food. Try to buy locally as much as possible. Now, how do you do that? Well, look around, ask friends, check the Internet. There are roadside stands, there are farmers markets, there are public markets, there are CSAs, Community Supported Agriculture, where you buy a share for a farm and you get to pick uh, produce usually every week throughout the year. There are food co-ops. Even many of mainstream grocery stores now have sections of the produce where they say locally grown. Even that supports local agriculture, decreases the amount of energy it takes to bring food to the table. Other things you can do, as much as you can, buy fair trade coffee and tea and hot chocolate, among other products. If you don't know what fair trade is, it means that we're giving a fair value to the farmer who raises this. If you're buying coffee and you're paying a dollar or two dollars for a can, you know that most of that money is not going to the farmer. Fair trade is more expensive, but it's really a part of equity and justice in the world. As much as possible, 
by organic products or products that have not been sprayed at least with pesticides and herbicides. This really protects the environment. Decrease the amount of food that you waste because what we've done is we're taking all of these resources, whether it's animals as well as the environment, and we're going through all of that process to bring it to our table and then we just throw it away. And that is also harming the environment in many, many ways. It has a huge impact amount of food we waste, especially in the Western world. So when your mom told you, don't waste your food, there are people starving, your mother was right. Do exactly as she tells you. Another thing you can do is simply practice increasing your mindfulness, your awareness, and your gratitude for the food that you do have in a planet where not everyone has that privilege that will bring you great spiritual benefits. Another part of the action plan is what is happening internationally, what is happening globally. Because we can all play our part individually, but we want to have a broader concept of what's needed to really affect lasting change. Collectively, the principles of the Baha'i faith promote the spiritual and the material well-being of humankind. In addition to that, the Baha'i international community promotes these principles of the faith. The BIC enjoys consultative status with UNICEF, which promotes the well-being of children around the world. Additionally, it has working relations and is associated with such diverse groups as the World Health Organization, the UN Environment Program, and the UN Development Program. All of these are issues that relate to health, the environment, conservation, and sustainable development on the planet. Besides the Baha'i international community, there are worldwide social and economic development projects started by Baha'is and based on Baha'i spiritual principles such as consultation and equity. The Baha'i international community states, the concept of spirituality and spiritual values, once almost taboo in most UN development-related deliberations, is now being articulated at the highest levels. In fact, on September 23, 2009, the UN Panel on Climate Change spoke in New York City at the offices of the Baha'i International Community to emphasize moral and ethical dimensions of global warming. It was based on an appeal that was drafted by the Baha'i International Community, signed by 25 non-governmental organizations, religious groups, and policy institutes. Part of the appeal states as follows. The quest for climate justice is not a competition for limited resources, but part of an unfolding process toward greater degrees of unity among nations as they endeavor to build a sustainable, just, and peaceful civilization. I'd like to close with a quotation from Shoghi Effendi, the guardian of the Baha'i faith. He wrote to an individual believer in 1932, which is quoted in the Compilation of Compilations, Volume 1. When we think about what we need to do to make these changes, he says, We need a change of heart, a reframing of all our conceptions, and a new orientation of our activities. The inward life of man, as well as his outward environment, have to be reshaped if human salvation is to be secured. <laughs>